Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm Stephen Igo, the publisher of HoistTheColors.net and the host of this podcast. We are recapping East Carolina's second straight difficult loss in conference play as the Pirates fall on the road at Houston, 31-24 in overtime in what was really a, a very entertaining fourth quarter in overtime if you're just a football fan in general. Uh, very tough to take if you're an ECU fan, especially after what happened against UCF just a couple of weeks ago leading into the bye week. We're going to break it all down. Um, just for a warning, at the start of this podcast, recording around 8.45 p.m. Eastern time, I'm running about three hours sleep. Got to, I mean, we got done working at the stadium in terms of interviews around 1 a.m. Central time. Went back to the hotel, wrote a little bit. Get about three hours of sleep before I head to the airport. So, been a long few days. This podcast is not going to be super long. Going to keep it relatively brief. Plus, we got the quick turnaround uh, to tomorrow. We have uh, the USF press conference. So, we're putting this one behind us fairly quickly. So, we'll talk about the game. Mainly, I'll, I'll answer you guys' questions. And we'll move forward fairly quickly. I mean, you guys know the deal now. I mean, it's a lot of the same things I said after the UCF game. I mean, it's clear as day the program is improving in terms of competitiveness, in terms of talent. Now it's about getting over that hump. And the second straight game on the road as double-digit underdogs, ECU really outplayed Houston. You know, if you if you just take each snap and watch each snap individually throughout the game, ECU won the vast majority of the snaps. Now, Houston had very good success up front defensively, and they made the plays when it counted in terms of the kick return, which is 98 yards of hidden yardage, and a touchdown by Marcus Jones. And you look at the turnovers. ECU turned the ball over three times, including the Ryan Jones fumble in overtime, but also twice in their own territory, deep in their own territory. That led to Houston touchdowns, 14 points. Um, And that's 21 points right there. And ECU, they do get a turnover deep in Houston territory and take advantage of it. Um, but still, I mean, that's that's multiple scores that the Pirates basically handed to Houston. Not that Houston didn't earn them. Much like ECU, they earned the, the fumble on Houston. But at the same time, those are self-inflicted wounds. Tyler Sneed not wrapping up the football. Your left tackle getting beat. Your quarterback not having you know great pocket awareness as he's looking downfield. He loses the football. Uh, Ryan Jones just not securing the football, even though it was a great hit. Not being able to convert on fourth down three times in Houston territory. You get zero points in three uh, drives in the Houston territory, and you you lose the game by one score. So, again, so many missed chances, and I'm not going to sit here and lament and go through each and every one. You guys know what happened. ECU should have won the football game, did not win the football game. They're 3-4. and 
one and two in conference. Could easily be three and zero oh in the American Athletic Conference. So I'm glad we're having this conversation in terms of hey, ECU should be this instead of oh well, we're recapping another blowout loss as the Pirates couldn't compete on the road. No, the, the the program is clearly trending in the right direction as we've often discussed. Now it's about how do you take that next step? How do you find that offensive consistency? And Houston's defense had a lot to do with some of the problems ECU's offense had. But I think overall, just the inconsistency of the offense. We're, we're seeing a clear trajectory of the defense steadily improving under Blake Carroll since his arrival. I mean, yeah, they've they've taken a few dips here and there in terms of game performance like every now and then. But for the most part, steady improvement since Blake Carroll's arrival. The offense, man, it's just been a straight roller coaster for two and a half years now. And I I just don't I just don't know if I see a point given the current, you know, personnel scheme, coaching staff, et cetera, on the offensive side of the ball where, where you're gonna have consistent success. I think I just think it kinda is what it is and will likely be that way through the rest of the season and just unless some magic formula or magic switch is flipped. You know, the good news is for ECU's offense, they do have a couple more, much more favorable matchups over the next three or four games. I mean, you have to credit Houston, you have to credit UCF. Those are good defenses, but you know there were still opportunities there to be made that ECU missed. That a good offense makes a good offense makes that throw to Tyler Sneed on the wide open play action pass and scores the touchdown. A good offense doesn't turn the ball over three times on on lost fumbles. Um, a good offense does not go one for 12 on third down. A good offense does not go for three on fourth down in the opponent's territory. So, again, Houston's defense is good, but ECU just continues to shoot itself in the foot on offense. And until they put together a string of three to four games with consistent offensive execution, I'd, I'm just not going to believe that we're going to see that uh, from this unit. So, the good news is that if the defense continues to play like this, and they've been playing great these last three games. If they continue to play like this, ECU is going to have a shot every week. Even with average offense, it might be enough to get it done. But you are facing some more favorable opponents in terms of South Florida, Temple, Memphis. They all give up yardage in pretty big numbers. And if ECU can go out there and execute, you're going to have a decent amount of success offensively. One would think. So we'll see what happens in the upcoming three games. Uh, but we are talking ECU Houston right now. And let's go ahead and dive into your questions. Let, let's let's do this and go ahead and get this baby started on the uh, Hoist of Colors podcast. All right, our first question comes from Matt. He says, why doesn't Tegan Wilk play more? Um, well, here's the thing with Tegan Wilk, and I do agree I would like to see him play more, specifically at boundary safety. But, you know, Sam Linebacker right now, you got two guys performing at an extremely high level in Gerard Stringer and Jaira Wilson. Jaira Wilson, according to Pro Football Focus, was the second highest graded uh, player on defense for ECU. He played 32 snaps. Stringer, 35 snaps. He had uh, three quarterback pressures, did pretty well in coverage. Did give up a touchdown, but that was a tough – I mean, you're asking a, a slot corner slash linebacker to cover their best receiver. That's just a bad matchup, and Houston had a good play call for that coverage. Um but I thought both those guys played well, and Tegan continues to play well, too. It's just a case where you got three guys at one position. Um, you know, Tegan right now I think is, is better in terms of run defense, and he just has a nose for the football. Um, and, and it's tough for him to go on the field at Sam 
So I would like to see them play him more at boundary safety. You know, the last few weeks, DJ Ford has been grading out okay. You know, Dorso has been up and down, graded out pretty good over his 30 snaps against Houston. But I personally would like to see Tegan play more um, as well. So, I mean, the reason he's not playing as much, and he's still getting a lot of run on special teams making plays there, is just due to the depth and the talent of the defense. You know, Stringer's a junior. Uh, Jaira Wilson's a uh, – fourth-year sophomore, um, you know, both those guys are going to be around at least a couple more years, so you're going to have to find a way to get Tegan on the field. You do lose DJ Ford, and I would expect Tegan to see more of a role at uh, boundary safety next year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that it's a good problem to have. He's probably an injury away at safety or Sam for playing a whole lot more. So um, good player, good problem to have that you have that type of de- depth. All right, uh, S.C. Johnson, 0408, he said, I've not made this public, as you know, and while I have been hard on his play, I've been very complimentary of his character. I'm going to ask this publicly now because it's the best defense of the kid I can think of. He's talking about Holden Aylers. The fact that he only sat one play last night is ridiculous. I'm not saying anything as to where I've heard the injury is for competitive reasons, but how bad are things with Holden? <clears throat> I guess S.C. Johnson's asking... Is there an injury? Is there an underlying issue with Holton Aylers? You know, I heard dating back to the summer that Holton was dealing with some stuff stemming from last year that he's had to get ongoing treatment on. I don't know how much it exactly is affecting his play. I would assume if he's not healthy that the coaching staff would not keep running him out there. So I think he's having to manage something. And I'm not going to go into the specifics because that wouldn't be fair for him. Um, and for competitive reasons. You don't want the opponent to know if, if somebody's dealing with an injury. But, you know, I think he is dealing with something um, that's been there since early last season. And I don't think it's maybe a coincidence that it has affected his play and has affected his um, maybe want to to run. I mean, and I posted this on the board in a VIP post. I mean, and, and I went into much more detail about it. But I spoke with Holton one-on-one after the game. And, man, he was beat up. I mean, the guy... Looked like he had been in a a four car pile up car crash. I mean, he he was bruised all over. He was hit throughout the game. He's been hit a lot this season. So I mean, we can all talk about Holton's issues as far as missing some throws, making a bad decision when he should have run, throwing throwing across his body. I agree that that's a that's a mistake he can't be making, especially two games in a row. Um, but the guy pours his heart and soul into it. And um, there's nobody who wants success more than Holton Ayler. So, as far as how much it is affecting his play, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, we don't have exact info on what he's dealing with. But I do think there is something that might might be nagging him and uh, might be causing a little bit of issues. But, uh, again, don't have the full information there. Maybe after the season is over, um, after his time at ECU is over, we, we can kind of gain some more light into what exactly is going on there. But if, if he's not at the point where he's uh, 100% and not the most effective quarterback, it's up to the coaching staff to make the decision to put somebody else in the game. Holt Naylor's his mindset is he's not going to take himself out of the game. I also do think it was a little ridiculous that uh, he got his bell rung and that he was put right back in after one play. And I know that the doctors came out and checked him on the field and there was a long delay with the targeting review, but um, why not just ha- hold him out that entire series, really get him sit- sitting down, 
checked out fully uh, because he's going to want to go back into the game. Just sit him out the rest of that series. See what Mason does. I mean, they ended up not scoring on that series anyway. So I just would have liked to see him roll with Garcia there and then put Holton in the following series if he was fine. But um, it is what it is. He came back in, and kudos to him. He's a he's a tough SOB, man. He is, uh, I, I give him a ton of credit. I mean, he 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 wears his uh, – he wears his heart on his sleeve every weekend, so you can't deny the guy's toughness uh, or his want to. Uh, Matt comes back with another question. He says, also, can someone please tell Holt Nailers that a incomplete pass is better than a sack? Question marks. In my opinion, Holton is too afraid to either turn the ball over or throw an incomplete pass and is thinking too much. The ball needs to come out in under six seconds, even if it hits the turf or is possibly intercepted. A deep throw that's intercepted is sometimes equivalent to a punt. Yeah, I think part of that is Holton thinks he's going to be able to elude the rush. Like on those fourth down plays where he takes a sack, I mean, yeah, I mean, the thought process is to get rid of the football, and it does drive you crazy watching it when he gets sacked and doesn't even give the the team a chance now I'll say I think the one fourth and six in Houston territory there was literally nobody open I've gone back and rewatched that play multiple times now should he have still just chunked it up deep into the end zone just to see if you could get a PI or if you get a pick it's it's like a punt yeah probably uh but I think he was trying to make a play and just ran into too many Houston guys three or four guys and you know they had a QB spy on him I believe he went out of the pocket because the DM was coming around the edge and then just got ran down. So, you know, not a great play there all around offensively. You know, nobody was open. Offensive line didn't do a great job. Um, Holton kind of didn't do the best thing in terms of he probably could have stepped up more in the pocket, maybe more than evaded the pocket leading into the quarterback spot. But it was a play that wasn't going to work either way, more than likely. Houston had a good coverage for it. Um, Matt also asked, why don't they give Holton more flexibility when he goes to the line, give him two plays and have him run the one he wants? Well, they do have flexibility within the RPO system. I mean, it is designed to be a live read on the RPO design plays where he's reading a specific defender and based off that, he makes the decision to either hand the ball off for a run or throw it. So that is in the playbook. He does have the ability to get the team out of some calls. I don't think he has complete freedom to be Peyton Manning out there and audible and at the line, but he does have a decent amount of freedom, and with the RPO system, he, he's asked to make decisions on the fly. Um, Matt finally asked, why is Donnie Kirkpatrick allergic to running screens? They slowed down the defensive line. We were getting a ton of pressure yesterday until Houston ran some screams. Then our guys slowed down. How do you slow down a 300-pound guy who can run a 4-6-40? You make him think is what Matt says. Yeah, I mean, I I would like to see some more screens. The problem is, you know, it's tough to run a screen. It's tough to run screens when they're only rushing three or four. Like, I mean, then you're just throwing into seven-man coverage. You really ideally want to run a screen – Unless it's just an absolutely well-designed screen against a, a coverage, uh, you really want to run a screen against a blitz, um, and it can be a little feast or famine because you got multiple guys bearing down on you. But you want to hit the screen behind the blitz, and that's when you pop a big one. So uh, it's tough to tough to execute screens on teams that don't blitz. And Houston blitz eight times and forty-three dropbacks yesterday. So if you're running that screen, you're probably only getting five, six yards, because you're going to have two linebackers, three linebackers there making a play downfield. 
They did try multiple draw plays. I think there was one that was successful. I thought the linebacker that was assigned to watch Holton on the draw did a good job for most of the game in terms of watching that play. And they also did a good job of those linebackers crashing in and making tackles on on the the running back draws. So give Houston credit. ECU tried some draws to slow down those DNs. It didn't matter. Other guys made plays. They're just a solid defense, and that, that has to be a factor of the equation of the struggles yesterday. All right, Berg Pirate, he's got a couple of questions. Is Jeremy Lewis becoming the pass rusher we all hoped he would be? You know, uh, Jeremy Lewis played probably his best game of the season for sure, and it was great to see. He kind of just showed that speed off the line, had his best game of the season in terms of uh, defensive grade outside of the South Carolina game earlier this year. So he's now had two really good games with pressures, and he's he's had 15 quarterback pressures in seven games this year, including four sacks, three hits, and eight hurries. You know, the problem with Jeremy right now is consistency. And also the run defense side of, side of things is kind of hit or miss. Uh, he sometimes gets a little lost on the edge, and you expect that from a first-year guy learning how to play defense. I mean, this was never going to be a, let's insert Jeremy, he's going to be an all-conference DN right away. He's still learning. He's still a sophomore. He's still a guy with two more years of eligibility remaining beyond this one. Um, but the last the last four games, Jeremy Lewis has gotten five pressures, three pressures, two pressures, two pressures. That's a pretty good run after only having three combined pressures the first three games. So uh, I think he is slowly, uh, steadily forming into that edge rusher ECU needs. Is he to the point now where he's going to consistently go out and dominate a game? No. But uh, he's definitely making strides. And right now, I would say he's probably ECU's best rush guy off the edge uh, at this point in the season. Number two, how concerning is it that our offense has been shut out for 10 periods, nine quarters, and an overtime over seven games? Bergpire asked. I mean, it's very concerning. Look, we've, we've talked about the offense ad nauseum, the inconsistency. Like, at times, they like the, I don't know what it is about a missed field goal, but if the, if the other team misses a field goal, ECU's offense becomes this like electric non-stop force and it seems like when they have momentum man they just play so much better and I don't know how you how you recapture that I don't know if it's purely a confidence thing if it's a feel thing on the the coaching side with Donnie Kirkpatrick calling plays or if it's just a confidence thing with execution um it's just it's just uh it's got to be driving the coaching staff just absolutely crazy because it drives the fans crazy it drives me crazy and I'm not sitting there cutting up film uh meeting meeting with players trying to figure out the exact formula for success I mean these guys are grinding away so uh to answer your question it is concerning and the offense is a concern all year we talked about it should be much better should be scoring more points should be more consistent shouldn't be having this many mistakes but they are so you know, it just is what it is at this point. I, I don't really know what else we can say until they go out there and put a string of three to four really good games together, which they haven't been able to do for a long time. Uh, Berg also asked, number three, why do we go to Rajay almost exclusively in late-game situations where we need to score to win? It seemed like we used him late against both UCF and Houston in the final fourth-quarter drives. Keaton has better ball security and a higher chance of hitting a home run. To be fair, we played Keaton in the overtime. Well, they also played Keaton on the final drive against UCF 
uh, when they had a chance to win the game. So I, I don't I don't see that being an issue. I mean, I think they use they use Rajay and Keaton on that extended drive at UCF. Mainly Rajay, where they ended up getting a field goal when they needed a touchdown. And then when they got the ball back later that quarter and they had a chance to put the game away, uh, they ran Keaton Mitchell twice. So the Keaton Mitchell was in the game trying to put the game away against uh, UCF. And so, you know, I, I don't think that's a – I think that might be just a little bit of revisionist history because I think Rajay – yeah, he was in yesterday, and I thought he was a better running back at times against Houston's defense. So I think it's just more of a feel thing, more so than, hey, we're going with Rajay at the end of the game. Uh, Matt comes back. I guess this is just a statement. He says, they haven't ran a screen since that one that since that one they ran, they got intercepted against South Carolina. Uh, that's like saying, I drove to the grocery store the other day. I got in a minor fender bender. So I've decided to sell my car and and walk now. Or I got shocked by some faulty wiring in my house, so I decided to cancel my electricity and I use candles for right now. You know, I'm sure they've ran a screen since then. It's been five games. So uh, they definitely ran that little flare screen um, in the flats to the running backs multiple times. It just hasn't been as successful. They've run a few other, you know, uh, screens here or there. I don't know if they've ran a true halfback screen since that play. If so, maybe one or two. Um, but yeah, would like to see some more of that implemented if they face a team that uh, you know that that likes to bring pressure. Right now, teams are getting pressure against ECU with a four-man rush. So it's it's you know you can say hey slow down the rush for the screen, but if they're getting there with four guys, I mean it's just not going to do a whole lot unless you have it set up perfectly. Um, and I you know come to think, I remember a few screens that have been called since then and like. You know the O line just didn't get out to blocking enough, think, quick enough. So they've had issues with that play, either the back and the timing is off with the quarterback in the back, or the O line misses the block. Again, consistency and execution. Got to be able to do those things to to run a uh, to run a screenplay successfully. Uh, Dover Pirate he asked Julius Wood playing for the first time. He played very well when he did. Seemed like the position that we had the most depth at the start of the season is struggling. How are you rating our safeties at this point in the season? You know, the one thing I'll say about the safeties is I feel like the last few games they've been better. Um, before that, it's been very up and down. Like, DJ Ford would play really good one week, but then Sean Dorso wouldn't play good, and then it's vice versa some weeks. Uh, it's been the same thing with Juwan Powell and Warren Sabre. Like, it feels like either one of those guys has a really good game or, you know, the other one does. Like, we rarely have seen – all the safeties play good in the same game. So I don't know if it's just more of a matchup deal, if the rotation is messing with those guys. I mean, they do like to rotate those guys to keep them fresh. And you got to keep everybody happy too. You know, Julius Wood has a lot of talent, so they're trying to get him um, get him ready to go. He practiced well during the bye as well. Has been practicing good lately. So a lot of it's determined by your practice play. You know, DJ's been banged up in practice lately, so that hasn't helped his game performance, I don't think. Um you know, as he continues to deal with some stuff. But yeah, th- overall, I think the safeties have been okay. I think they've been an improvement over last year, for sure. I think they're definitely moving in the right direction. We've talked about this before, but Jawan Powell, freshman eligibility. Sean Dorso, sophomore eligibility. Tegan Wilk, freshman eligibility. Um, you know, Saba and Ford are seniors, but Julius Wood, sophomore eligibility. David Laney, a guy who's not playing right now, but has some potential freshman 
You got some walk-ons there, Ty Moss, um, and a couple other guys who are freshmen as well, Devin King. So you got some dudes who are going to be good players in time, and I think that position is continuing to progress. All right, a couple more questions here. Uh, Blackbeard Ghost, he asked two simple questions, though not sure if the coaches would even tell you or not. Is Holt Naylor's hiding a possible injury? Well, we, we touched on that earlier. I don't think he's hiding it with the team or anything like that. It might be hiding it. You know, you don't want an opponent to know about anything. We, we touched on that earlier. Uh, same question about C.J. Johnson. He plays like he has lost a step in his speed. It just doesn't look like the same dominant receiver as last year. You know, C.J., when I've been out of practice, I know earlier in the year he dealt with a, a abdominal strain. Then he had like a hand deal going on. It just seems like a ton of seems like a ton of issues, like small issues, have kind of hampered him this year. I also think while that might be affecting his playing time, again, I don't know for sure. Um, just practice habits, man. He he's got to be more consistent in practice. You're a third year player. Um, at times, that has been an issue for him and. And if I had to guess, I would assume that's a reason why, you know, Tyler Savage is getting some more time. You know, we saw CJ make a big play yesterday. But, you know, you earn your playing time from this coaching staff based on what you do in practice. Um, and so I think you just got to be more consistent. Even if you're dealing with injuries, look, guys are banged up. You're eight games or about to be eight games into a season. You're playing on a short week. You're going to have to play through soreness and pain. I mean, these guys are – like human warriors. I mean, they go out there and put their bodies on the line every week, run into each other full speed for 60, 70 snaps. You're going to be banged up come midseason. you got to fight through it. So, um, And teams continue to hold CJ. I mean, we saw it yesterday. There were a pass interference or two that just weren't called for whatever reason. He just never gets those calls. He got punched in the freaking face during the play, and they said it was after the play. I'm not getting started on that because I'll go on a whole rant for a whole podcast. But, um yeah, it's just been another enigma of the CCU offense. What has happened to C.J. Johnson? All right, ECU Pirates backwards. Still can't pronounce your name, so I'm going to continue to say ECU Pirates backwards. He says, if you could add one wrinkle in the offense, what would it be? Hmm. You know, for me, and I've said this for a couple of uh, couple of years now, like I feel like if they get near the goal line – you know, we have not seen a situation where they go a pretty heavy set formation in the red zone, like say from the five yard line and in, and then motion a tight end out and try and get a one on one matchup versus a corner or safety and throw a fade ball to him. You know, you have Ryan Jones, a four star athlete. You got Shane Calhoun, a really good athlete. Zach Bird, when he's healthy, is a six-eight tight end. I don't, he, I don't know if he's that great of a pass catcher, but he's six-eight. If you got a six-eight guy and you can't throw him a jump ball, then you know, I just want to see it happen one time. Maybe, maybe he can't, maybe he can't elevate. Maybe he can't go up and make a play. But I would just like to see those tight ends used more in the red zone. I think one way you could do that is getting into a heavy set and then motioning a the guy out. Um. You know, putting him on one side of the field by himself. See how the defense reacts. If they give you man coverage with the favorable matchup, throw the ball up to him. Put a fade ball in the corner of the end zone. I think Shane Calhoun and Ryan Jones are good enough athletes to win that. I think Zach Bird, maybe even Aaron Jarman are big enough to win that. So that's that's one thing I would like to see that we haven't seen to this point. Uh, Pirate Backer, uh, he's got a couple of questions. It looks like Brock Spalding's having a big year. 
what are your thoughts on him and Caleb Webb contributing next year? Uh, I think Spalding's got a chance with his hands to play early. Um, I think he's getting into school early maybe as well. Uh, but the problem is he's going to be playing behind Tyler Snead, and if Snead continues to come back for several years, he's got two years of less left after this one, it's going to be hard for Spalding to see the field. But I think he's got a shot to play, you know, pretty mature kid, you know, smart IQ, so I think could play early. Caleb Webb, for sure, if he, if he ends up signing here, uh, he will be a mid-year guy, and he, he'll play early. I mean, he's just too talented not to. He's raw. He's going to have to get some work in, but he, I just don't, you know – I'm not sold on this receiving corpse right now from top to bottom. Um, they have time to develop, but right now they, they have a lot to prove. Uh, speaking of, Pirate Backer also asked, uh, what are your observations on the younger receivers who are already on campus? Can they beat cover zero, one, and two man? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, they at some point ECU's got to start winning some of these man, man matchups on the outside. Like, we talk so much about Holt Nailers and, the up and down play there, but there's been a lot of balls in one-on-one situations that I feel like ECU receivers in the past would make that they're not making this year. And we've talked about it before, but it just seems like the group as a whole has not maybe progressed like we've seen in the past. You know, I am hearing good things about the development of Ray Rose, you know, the walk-on transfer from North Carolina who could eventually end up on scholarship, former four-star recruit. He made the travel squad, I think for the first time this week, played some special teams. That was good to see. Um, Tyler Savage has come on strong in practice. Did not look great yesterday. You know, there was one fade ball or one deep ball down the down the uh, the sideline that he just didn't really go up for and try to get in a one-on-one matchup. And if you're 6'3", 225 pounds, use your size. I mean, bully that guy if you're going to be going up against a 5'11 corner. So I uh, want to see, see Savage be a little more aggressive. Again, freshman receiver, learning on the job. Uh, Taji Hudson, we have not seen much of him. I really thought he would make a bigger impact this year. He's doing a good job on special teams, probably still maybe a year away. Tyree Saunders has made some plays uh, in practice from what I've heard. Just needs more consistency and needs to continue to come on. Troy Lewis is another young guy with good size. Uh, but it it's just to the point now where these guys are probably going to have to wait till next year to get their shot. Next spring, I think, is going to be the time when some of those guys separate themselves. And if a Spalding, if a Webb get in early, they've got a shot to make the depth chart too because it just seems like right now nobody is really stepping up uh, behind maybe the the obvious, you know, Tyler Sneed, Omatosho, C.J. Johnson right now. It's a pretty, you know, barren room in terms of proven talent right now at the wide receiver position. I would like to see them add a, uh, add a transfer this offseason as well. Uh, I would have bet a lot of money – we would win if you told me we would hold Houston under 100 yards rushing. Pirate Bagger says, yeah. I mean, hell, if you would have told me ECU holds Houston to 250 yards of offense, I would have said ECU wins the game by two touchdowns minimum. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's what makes it so frustrating, man. The defense played its ass off and stop after stop after stop, which I do think some of that was Houston was so scared to turn the ball over to ECU because – the ECU offense could not score for such a long time. They were being pretty conservative, but ECU was still just – they were just whooping them across the field. I don't think Jalen Irwin had a catch, by the way. If he did, he didn't do anything. So, good for him enjoying his final year at Houston on the bench, I guess. Uh, Piracy, 23. Uh, if you don't know the backstory of that, he was committed to ECU and then flipped to Houston. 
Charlotte kid. All right, Piracy23, do you think it was still a bad idea for the Bengals to draft Jamar Chase instead of Penny Sewell? Consi- considering Chase is a front runner for rookie of the year and off to the best start of any wide receiver in NFL history. I mean, fair question for sure, because I did not like that pick when they made it, and he is he is balled out. And how about the Bengals today winning 41-17? to This has absolutely nothing to do with ECU. Um, I've had a lot of dumb hot takes over the years. I've definitely had a lot of dumb NFL hot takes. But I still would say if you're the Bengals – who have historically drafted like skill players or offensive linemen more times than not, I'm still taking pin a Sewell in that situation. I, I get that it's working out now good for them, but it's not like they didn't already have talent at wide receiver. Um, it looks like chase is going to be a beast. I'm glad that the Bengals is going to be good because their fans have suffered for a long time. So yeah, I mean, they've proved people wrong thus far. Now, it's also been, what, six games into his career? Let's see how it looks at the end of two years. And uh, hopefully the guy stays healthy because Chase is a special player. He was also coming off a year where he hadn't played at all. So it was a risk. Uh, but credit to the Bengals. Looks like a good good pick right now. For sure, proving me wrong. Proving a lot of people wrong. All right, Pirate, Pirate Treasure NC. USF just destroyed an equally bad Temple team. What about USF should the Pirates concern themselves with? Um, what trends for ECU itself should they concern themselves with going into USF? Well, number one, South Florida is a much improved football team over last year. They were bad last year. I don't think they're great this year, but they are much better. The quarterback, the freshman, um, dangerous football player, really dangerous. I think he's a guy who, if, if you let get comfortable in a game, can make things very hairy. I mean, he... he I've watched him at times this year. He has not looked comfortable at all. And then there have been other instances where he looks like the best player on the field. So I think it's going to be vital for ECU to get him off the spot and to keep him contained as well because he's a mobile quarterback, um, obviously. And, and so it's a situation where you have to be aggressive defensively in terms of putting pressure on him, but you also have to be disciplined. And Timmy McLean is his name, freshman, and has really – Continue to just continue to show improvement. Has made some mistakes at times, but I was watching them at BYU a couple weeks ago. I expected them to lose by three or four touchdowns at minimum, and they were in the game in the fourth quarter. So, this is a team that should have beat Tulsa. Let that one slip away. Uh, ran for like 440 yards against Temple, and again, Temple is not a good football team, but that's still an impressive number. You had multiple backs over 100 yards, another back over 70. So. McLean only had 10 of 13 for 71 yards against Temple throwing the ball. So it was more of them doing damage on the ground. But McLean can spin it pretty good, and he's got the threat of the the, uh, the run pass option and the, and the uh, read zone pretty much every snap. You know, defensively, they've been very up and down. You can definitely get them at times um, defensively. So there, there should be some plays to be made there on, on that side of the ball. But they have good athletes, man. You're in Tampa, Florida. I don't care how down South Florida is. They're always going to have athletes, and they're capable of coming in here and winning the football game if ECU doesn't show up. Uh, what trends for ECU should they concern themselves with? I mean, they got to fix third down. Uh, this is becoming uh, – I, I wrote it's egregious at this point. You're, you're 129 out of 130 teams, seven games into the season, and you were bad last year. This is not – like a, a small sample size, they're, they're just bad on third down. You know, pass pro struggles, 
uh, the quarterback at times because of the pass pro or because of just missing throws, struggles on third downs. They run a lot of quarterback draws on third downs that are unsuccessful because probably they're worried about the pass pro. You know, the receivers don't make a lot of contested catches on third down, so they're not a good third down football team. They've tried, they've tried like all these different plays. They've tried um, the quarterback draw. They've tried deep throws. They've tried medium throws, short throws, and they just can't do it. They, try, you know, I, a lot of a lot of people did not like the third and short um, pitch play, but I thought it was a well designed play. And you know, Holton got up and and faked the the quarterback sneak and then pitched it out to Keaton, I believe. Maybe it was Rajay. I don't remember who it was. But if the guys make the block, the play looks like it's there. I mean, the, the guys, the players have to execute it too. And that was a, that was ran off a play that ECU has, has executed, the quarterback sneak, like four or five times this year. So the entire Houston front pinched inside, anticipating the sneak. That's why you hit that little pitch. And if you make some blocks there, all of a sudden you got a big gain instead of a negative play. So, you know, everybody wants to blame the play caller, and I get it. They want to blame the quarterback. But at some point you got to block somebody. Um to get a third and short. So you could say they were trying to get too cute, but if you block the play and it goes for 20 yards and everybody's saying what a great play call it is. So I don't know, man. I'm tired of talking about the offense. I know that. Uh, and that's it. That's all for the questions. We had somebody else comment about Tegan Wilk and why he's not playing more. Again, I don't get paid to make those decisions. I know Tegan Wilk's a damn good football player. going to be a good football player. And uh, glad he's in the ECU uniform and think he's going to be a good one. So that's it for our questions, guys. We went nearly 40 minutes longer than I thought we would go because I'm running on fumes at this point. I got to get to bed. Um, But no, I appreciate everybody for uh, following along with our coverage, for asking questions on the Hoisted Colors message board. As always, love you guys' passion. We're all frustrated after close losses, as we've discussed numerous times. Hang in there. Program moving in the right direction. And guys are playing hard, man. I mean, just being down there in the locker room after the game really felt for them because you could see how much they laid it all on the line. After just a, a, a just a horrendous day with the delays, man, to, to be geared up multiple times to play, have to go back down, you know, undress, untape, get back up, retape, dress up, play in front of no fans, you know, the guys played hard. You can't question their effort. You can't question their drive, their toughness, all that stuff. So um, all the fundamentals are there from a culture standpoint. Now it's just about, hey, let's finish games. Let's take the next step. I think it will happen. When will it happen? I don't know. But hopefully the Pirates can put a good performance together Thursday night to continue to move in that right direction as a football program all right that'll do it for the hoist the colors podcast we'll be back in the coming days for a south florida preview again thursday night i think 7 30 kickoff on espn we'll break it all down might have will turner from the uh, south florida 24 7 site join us but we'll uh we'll discuss more later in the week appreciate you guys listening as always to the hoist the colors podcast
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.